Due to the graphic nature of this true crime episode, listener discretion is advised. There will be highly realistic dramatizations and discussions of murder, sacrifice, vampires, werewolves, zombies, mysterious possibly occult practices, and descriptions of two dead bodies. We advise extreme caution for children under 13, pregnant or lactating mothers, and anyone with delicate constitutions or medical conditions. Also, anyone still sane after seeing the true face of the horror that is life. One of the most bizarre and gruesome murders ever to take place in the continental United States occurred back on the 1st of April, 1969. Two couples were on a road trip to check out an infamous hippie concert called Woodstock with a T. Everything started out fine. In the van were Felix and his partner Vincenza, whom everyone called Vinny and Dora Jane and her friend, Shawnee. Along with Shawnee was his pet dog. Everyone called him Mutters. Mutters was not, however, an ordinary dog. He had been bred for over 30 years by a cult in Northern California who called themselves the Devil Dogs, or simply the Dogs. Mutters was a rescue. Mutters was a pal. Unfortunately, after three days on the road, in the middle of an abandoned ghost town, the young couple's van got caught up in a squall that turned into an all-out thunderstorm. Lightning struck the radiator, flooding it with water. The engine overheated, Felix, Vinny, Dora Jane, Shawnee, and Mutters locked themselves inside where they were unable to get out until the storm had blown over. Once it had, they decided to leave the safety of their van and try to find some help. The five friends went door-to-door knocking, but no one was home. Truly, it was an empty, dusty, trashy town. But why? What had happened here, and when? They were sure that this wasn't some strange coincidence, or a prank, or anything of the sort. Something about it felt so unusual. The atmosphere reminded them of an abandoned asylum that they'd stumbled across in the woods last week, after following that strangely colored yellow brick road. But that is another mystery for another day. After about half an hour, they turned down a side street. Shawnee and Mudders were lopping along ahead of the rest, looking for somewhere to eat. Shawnee is wearing baggy jeans and an oversized blue hoodie with his name misspelled on the back. Suddenly, they notice a barn. It was odd. The paint was peeling, and the windows were courageously trying to fly up. The giant clock was completely devoid of needles, and that was puzzling. On the door were the words, Reserved for the Undead Horde, this side up. There was no arrow. This gave Shawnee a shock. The Undead Horde 
was the name that he had coined for the five of them. He had a blast every night telling jokes, playing music, and making everyone laugh by acting like a zombie. Shawnee thought everyone was a little undeadish. Shawnee was a little weird. All he wanted to do was sing, dance, play the guitar, and eat fried chicken all at once. He just loved that there were times when no one would be laughing but him. And if he could have a whole lot of food that he could share with his dog Mutters, then life was better than life deserved to be. Mutters, for his part, was a hoot and carried around a dirty fork. Mutters was always ready. All right, gang, Felix standing there, all power in his boots, proclaimed, we need to investigate. Together, the five of them pushed open the squeaky door. Welcome to Missing? Keep Looking, a true crime podcast from Uncanny Productions. I'm your host, Teresa Matsura. And I'm your host, Rich Pav. You can find Missing Keep Looking and all other Uncanny Production shows for free wherever you find podcasts. This episode is about one of the most gruesome murder cases in United States history. The details are jarring and disorienting, but are still fresh in the minds of many. And the story is told in the book, Blood on Its Boots, by Melanie Ward. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. When the five best friends opened the barn door, they discovered the most horrible thing any of them had ever seen in their lives. All five fell down screaming at the horror of it. In the middle of the room, lit by a greenish flickering light splayed out on the sawdust floor, was the corpse of a man. From pants up, his naked body seemed to be enwrapped in dark green oil-slick fabric, or gill flaps. The exposed flesh was covered with a black and blue floral or Aztec-like pattern. It was intricately or carefully etched into the skin. His lips were orange and stiff, like a life jacket. His eyes were sunken black stones, half floating above gray lumps of mannish flesh. His mouth, smiling, was fanged and twisted up at the edges. What was most horrifying, though, was that his stomach had been cut, and there, on the floor, spelled out in his own intestines, was a message. In cursive, it read, Greetings, I am Vampire Frank. It also included the words, Peppers, and the Screaming Youth, Farm Number 5. It listed a couple of dates, too. April 1st, and then two future dates, April 30th and May 5th. The five friends sat on the ground where they'd fallen for some time, until finally Felix spoke. Do you think I should kill him? Felix said, getting to his feet. If he really is a vampire, like he's written here, then I should kill him. We may all be in some kind of nefarious danger. Killing a vampire is what a brave man would do, and I'm nothing if not... Vinnie made a yipping sound and hopped to her feet. She was wearing a cute patchwork dress in floral patterns. 
Her hair is carrot orange and bobbed. Her skin is pale white like frost, and her eyes look like sesame seeds, chameleon-like, shifting in color, exotic and beautiful. She brushed the dirt from her skirt and rolled her eyes. He's very, very dead. Besides, he gives me the creeps. Dora Jane was in a black turtleneck sweater and jeans and her favorite teal vest with some extremely white sneakers. She was next to return to the standing position. She matter-factly directed Felix's attention to the fancy intestinal script on the floor. How could he have written this message in his own guts? It might be a clue, but it just doesn't add up. She had a point. Felix's heart, cold and distant, formed a ball in the pit of his stomach. Vampire Frank looked up at them from beneath his open mouth of bloody teeth. But even as the others backed away from him, they could not stop staring at the awful message on the floor. Shawnee and Mutters crouched down in the corner, hugging each other. Like this prophecy seems real enough to me, and I feel guilty I had nothing to do with writing it in his bowel ropes, but that doesn't mean that I have to like it much. We need even more help now, said Shawnee, scrambling backwards to the door with his dog in his lap. The five carefully closed the door behind them and set out again to try and find help. Suddenly, Mutters ran off barking. They followed. On the outskirts of town, they found a small farmhouse. Its front door had been boarded shut, and motion detectors that were planted everywhere started to softly glow as they approached. From within came the sound of singing. They crept up to the house and peeked in through the window. There, dancing to his own song, dressed in a red sequined shirt, a gold tie, black pants, and purple boots with his hair glued back into two pigtails, was a middle-aged man. A long rhinestone-studded necklace draped down his bare chest, and it jingled as he started doing the mambo, cartwheels, and other gyrating dances. He saw them oogling at him, smiled, and motioned for them to come in the back door. It was standing open. Mutters barked. None of the Shawnee-proclaimed horde of the dead paid heed. They all cautiously stepped inside and were surprised to see a large vintage disco ball hanging from the ceiling. Lava lamps glowed everywhere, along with the usual assorted burlap sacks, glass bottles, chains, leather belts, stuffed animals, and various other props you might expect. A dozen or so taxidermied roadkills stood mangled on the kitchen table, eyeballing them as they entered the room. But that wasn't the spookiest thing. The spookiest part of the room was what sat behind a 1980s-style turntable in front of a thick fog machine. It was a mannequin shaped like an old-school zombie with holes for arms and a huge stomach full of shiny, super-sugary candies that looked just like Smarties covered in silver spray paint. Occasionally, it would open its mouth, and a recording of a robotic voice would say, Pounds, pounds, other musical sounds and violence. Give me your pounds, pounds, or you will die. Do not make a sincerity violation of your rightfully inherited lives. What are you kids doing here? 
said the freely dancing man. Who are you? asked Felix, rudely forgetting to introduce himself first. I'm Peter Peter. I'm a farmer around these parts. I don't get much company. I want to thank y'all for coming out. He smiled at them again. It was then they noticed that there were holes in his lips, where his teeth had pulled through his gums. They also noticed that he had no fingernails left. Excuse me, sir, said Dora Jane. She adjusted her glasses on her nose. We just discovered a murder in town. We need to get help. A murder? Yes, sir. It's just horrible. And he might be a vampire. Vinny added. Or a zombie, Shawnee said, trembling. Despite his special name for his friends and his weird fascination for the undead, he was very afraid of zombies and vampires. Peter Peter, the farmer, suddenly looked very nervous. His eyes darted from side to side. Oh no, we don't have no murders round here. You must be mistaken. Felix tried to convince the well-dressed man, but he just changed the subject. Why don't y'all stay for dinner? I'm making community spaghetti. I'll be serving it in the basement. Boy, that sounds like a good plan. What do you say, Muds? Like, community spaghetti sounds pretty good, huh? He asked his dog, who nodded enthusiastically. Just then, the doorbell rang. Peter Peter answered, then quickly ushered in a cow. I'd like y'all to meet Nellie, girl. She's my only friend out here in this empty town. She gurgles. Nellie gurgles? Dora Jane asked, puzzled. That's your name for her? Well, no. Nellie girl is her name. And she just communicates with me by making a little gurgling sound. The cow sauntered around inside the room. She seemed to enjoy the disco lights in the fog machine. She made a few grunts. Mr. Peter Peter, can we borrow your phone? Our car is broken. We need to report this murder. I'm afraid I don't have one. Thank you. It was nice meeting y'all. I'll let you know when dinner's ready. And please come back any time. You're always welcome. With that, he walked him to the door and said goodbye. Felix, Dora, Jane, and Vinny had to admit that was a very suspicious man. Shawnee and Mutters had to admit that they had never eaten community spaghetti before and wondered what it tasted like. There was nothing to do but to keep looking for someone who could help. So they continued on, knocking on doors until they reached a large red and yellow brick church with an old clock dangling from the steeple. It was ticking away the seconds. A large, lengthy red carpet led from a circular grassy area to two big black doors. They followed the carpet and discovered another sign posted on the doors. This one read, Welcome to Heretic's Repository of Satanic Rituals. Come to us for safe worship. This is a no-smoking establishment. They pushed open the heavy church doors and were greeted with another fresh hell. The pews had been pushed aside, leaving bare the pretty marble floor. 
The fading sunlight streamed through the colorful stained glass windows, revealing the body on the floor. This time, it was also a curious death. The corpse was positioned in the classic bookman's pose, hands on chest, mouth open and tongue lolling out to the side in a parody of a scream. It was wearing some kind of simple toga, long robes that ran from head to toe. Half of it was thigh height, the other half looked to be a knee-length skirt. One arm was pointing straight up at the ceiling. The five friends all looked up in unison. There, scribbled in blood, was another message. Greetings. I am Werewolf Herman. Don't forget Peppers and the Screaming Youth. And the dates were written again. Come on, let's get out of here while we still can. Are you with me, boy? Mutters whimpered. All five tiptoed backwards out of the church and closed the doors. Guys, it's getting dark, Felix said. All the town's spooky yellow streetlights just turned on, and we haven't found anyone to help or a phone. We need to split up and cover more ground. Me, Vinny, Dora Jane, we'll go this way. Shawnee, you and Mutters, go that way, okay? Cheapers, that sounds like a plan, said Vinny. We need more clues, said Dora Jane. Then they split up. Shawnee and Mutters cautiously continued down the empty streets, jumping at their own shadows and stopping to gape at every out-of-place sound. Mutters began to growl and sniff the air. It was dusk, and it's hard to describe how creepy the town felt. There was the sense that something behind the windows was watching them. Dark blackness seemed to swallow the color of the sky and the sun from human sight, like hungry jaws. If Shawnee turned quickly, he thought he could see a curtain move. The only sound was her own breath, their pounding hearts, and the occasional rodent drawn down into the darkness by their presence. Then suddenly, from a lingering shadow, stepped a very large and frightening figure. It was wearing a huge hooded robe that completely hid its face. Shawnee and Mutters felt their muscles turn to glue. Mutters tried to bolt for it, but fear overcame his courage and he slid down against Shawnee in a panic. Their teeth clacked together loudly. The figure moved closer and reached out its face briefly visible. The mouth was filled with jagged, toothy teeth. Its eyes were open in a vacant, cinder-like stare, and they spoke no words, but the creatures seemed to call them to it like a puppeteer might to his puppets. The pair found their cowardice, and feet pinwheeling took off down the street. The monster followed, quickly. The chase was epic. Over some invisible loudspeakers in town, they heard the sound of music, an upbeat song as they fled. The sound of the creature's oversized boots thundered on the pavement. Everywhere they turned, it seemed to be waiting, so they had to beat a retreat and run another direction. At one point, the demon monster cornered them in an alley. There was nowhere to run. Soon, they would be food. 
But just when all hope was lost, Mutters took out his dirty fork he always carried and stabbed at the figure's hooded face as if poking at a bug. The beast doubled over and Mutters flung him backwards with an overhead chop block that left him flat on his back beside the dumpster. Mutters extracted his fork from the assailant's hood and skull as he lay there stunned and defenseless. And the two fled, finally, jumping into a large haystack to hide. Meanwhile, Felix, Vinny, and Dora Jane were looking for more clues. Who was vampire Hank and werewolf Herman? What was the peppers and the screaming youth? What did the dates mean? And where was a phone? While Felix and Vinny were discussing something or other, Dora Jane discovered some footprints that looked too large to be human. She called to her friends to help her examine them. But as she was walking backwards, head down, she bumped into something and her glasses fell off. It felt as if she had been kicked by a donkey. But without her glasses, she couldn't tell what had hit her. Dora Jane called out and Felix and Vinnie turned to see what was standing behind their friend. Dora Jane asked what they were caterwauling about when someone tapped her on the shoulder and handed her her spectacles. Thank you, she said, putting them on. When she did, she saw what it was standing over her. The demon itself. She looked up in horror. The creature had thin, curly fangs, but it also had a mangy, shaggy mane and talons on each of its fingers. Its face was hidden in its hood, and the most terrifying thing was its tongue, which seemed to hang out of its mouth at twice the size. It had big feet in bigger boots and bony arms, wearing black, silky gloves, reaching out. It was wearing a robe that was long and dragged to the ground. It wasn't a general panic that hit her. It was a very definite panic. All three friends screamed and took off down the street. After running for a bit, they saw the old hay wagon that Vampire Frank had used to transport the human cattle. Next to it was a pile of hay. They jumped in. They crashed on top of Shawnee and Mutters. Oh, my hairdo! cried out Vinny. Shh! He'll hear you! Felix whispered. They all got real quiet with only their little faces poking out from the hay. They saw something strange coming down the street. A group of six zombies milling around, arms linked, making moaning and yum-yum sounds. Cool it, gang! said Dora Jane. There's gotta be a logical explanation. Yeah, there's a logical explanation, all right. We gotta get out of here and go home. The small zombie horde continued to move closer to the hiding friends. They were pointing randomly at houses as they stiff-legged it down the street. Rook! cried Mutters, 
Sure enough, coming down the opposite end of the street was the large demon creature making its way toward the zombies. If my calculations are correct, said Dora Jane, they're going to meet right in front of this haystack we're hiding in. Zoinks, said Shawnee and swallowed hard. Something is strange about them, said Vinny. Look at their clothes. They're so stylish. Not like any zombie I've ever met, and they smell like gently burning vanilla beans far off in the distance and untouched peonies that bloom in the bottom of the river that runs through my backyard. It's almost like they're coming from a party, Felix added. The monster and the zombie types were in front of them now, encircling the tall hooded demon. Or going to a party, Dora Jane added. I've got a hot idea. Dora Jane leapt from her hiding place in the haystack and with one fell swoop, pulled the hood and the mask off the demon creature, revealing that the monster was none other than... Nellie Girl? Exactly. An hour or two later, in the old ghost town square, under a sparkly ring of razzle-dazzle lights, everyone gathered. There was Felix and Vinny, Dora Jane and Shawnee, and, of course, Mutters. Joining them was Peter Peter, the farmer who was now wearing a pair of cowboy boots, a CIA tuxedo, and a toothy smile. He held a microphone in one hand. The six party-going zombies rocked back and forth from foot to foot, still linking arms. They looked incredible, all dressed up for a night out. But that's not all. The unmasked Nelly girl stood on her hind legs in handcuffs. The sheriff scratched his head, asking questions of the traveling young folk. Dora Jane explained that Peppers and the Screaming Youth Number 5 was the name of a very cool, super-secret rave house. It was raverific and a place young zombie types went to blow off steam and be their true selves. Once inside the tent walls, their life became tolerable in ways humans could never experience. And there was nothing wrong with that. It was a beautiful thing. The problem was with Nellie Girl's overly enthusiastic method of advertising the parties. Nellie Girl was an excitable cow, as cows go, and she had a dark side. She had a penchant for hunting down unattached and attractive supernaturals called Schumers, and after brutally dissecting them, painting on their torsos with the teats of her udder and using their blood, organs, and entrails to advertise the next secret rave. In town, she was known as Bloodbag Lady Bovine and was not well-liked. It was the reason the town folk hightailed it. Nellie Girl continued her murdering spree until the horde of the undead's van broke down and they stumbled across two of the victims. A police officer tried to maneuver the very tall Nellie Girl into the back seat of a squad car. But before going in, she turned and bellowed. I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for these meddling kids. Thank you, kids. If it wasn't for you, we never would have solved this mystery, the sheriff said. Just then, an old bus pulled up and stopped. 
It was painted with hundreds of neon-colored handprints. The Giggly Goblins was written on the side of the bus. The door squeaked open and out filed a very long line of partygoers. They were all dressed in incredible attire. Fetish costumes, strange hair pieces, some carried spinning glow sticks, while others were decked out in a myriad of handheld drums, tuned to a different drummer. Hey, where are you all going? Felix asked one of the men dressed as a priest, but wearing a horned mask, no shirt, and huge furry belly dance pants. Wow, man, tonight's the excitable exorcism rave, he said. It's gonna be groovy, said a woman wearing a giant black flower cluster on her head, a series of shedding feather boas over her zoot suit, one eye patch, and obscene purple and yellow eye makeup. She had several books under her arm. Come on, man, join us. It's gonna be held at the malt shop where apparently all the near-illegal occult events take place. Jinkies! Today's the 1st of April, the date written in Vampire Hank's entrails and Werewolf Herman's blood. Well, I guess you know what that means, said Vinny, snapping her fingers and mussing up her hair. Felix waggled his eyebrows, tore off his ascot, and stuffed it into his back pocket and said, Let's get wasted! That's all right, gang, but do you think we can get a bite to eat first? Muds and me are starving. Well, what do y'all think a malt shop does? It has all the best eats. Then count us in. <laughs> the entire crowd laughed. Felix showed Vinny one of his new dance moves. Dora Jane slipped her hand into Peter Peters and said, Jinkies, I've got a hot idea. Are you ready to make history? <laughs> <laughs> now that Nelly Girl's out of the picture, what do you say we take over advertising duty for the rave? Hey, Scoob, I mean, Muds, do you still have that dirty fork on you? If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Uncanny Robot Podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please support this show and all our other shows by donating, subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, or spreading the word on social media. I'm Rich Pav. And I'm Teresa Matsura. UncannyRobotPodcast.com has trigger warnings, transcripts of all episodes, information on how to contact us, and ways to support the show financially. And also remember, if you're missing, keep looking. <laughs> <laughs>